When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. I'm Stephanie Safarian, and this is episode 94. You are listening to the Sustainable Minimalist Podcast, a show about living simply and sustainably with your family. Here's your host, Stephanie Safarian. Hello there and welcome back. The concepts of minimalism and parenting might sound like polar opposites at first glance, right? Between all the stuff that kids need and accumulate and all the appointments and extracurriculars and playdates and, of course, birthday parties, being both a mother and a minimalist may seem impossible, but it isn't. On today's show, I am speaking with Diane Bowden. Diane is a mother of three and the host of the Minimalist Moms podcast. Diane is here to offer up what slow parenting looks like in her house, not what it looks like on Instagram, but what it really looks like in real life. And what I love about Diane and I's conversation today is that we hit the concrete things. We talk about the strategies for the birthday parties, for example. But we also go a bit abstract in our conversation today, and we get into what it's like to raise children who value simplicity in a culture that glorifies consumerism. Now, before we get right into today's interview, just a quick heads up that if you think you are hearing a cooing or a gurgling as Diane and I are talking, you're not going crazy. It is a baby, and Diane is an absolute supermom who is recording a podcast interview while holding and cuddling with her one-week-old son. So the cooing is there. Enjoy it, and enjoy the episode. Diane, I am so excited to have you on the podcast. One of my favorite things in the world is to talk to fellow minimalists and mothers. So thank you so much for coming on. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I was telling you before we hit record that I have a week old, so I'm just in the midst of chaos a little bit right now. Well, I can't wait to pick your brain about how you are maintaining your minimalist principles with a one week old. I can't imagine. And uh, thank you for talking to me while you have a one week old. I'm sure sleep isn't high on your list of things that are happening right now. Let's talk about you and minimalism, and let's start with you telling us who you are and what you do. Yeah, so I'm Diane Bowden, and I'm the host of the Minimalist Moms podcast, and I realized today that that actually started about three years ago, so it's the podcast's birthday this month, which I'm kind of excited about, but I am a mother of three, and I, like I said, I had my son a little over a week ago, and I live in Columbus, Ohio. 
At this point, I'd say my main title is mom, but I do have a few days a week that I work part-time at a little wine bar and I have photography that I do as kind of a side hustle. So I have my hands in a lot of different positions right now. I guess I'm juggling lots of different positions right now, but I kind of like it that way. So I like to stay busy. And that doesn't seem necessarily minimalist, but I, I've learned how to prioritize, I guess, what's important to me within all of those roles. Hmm. Well, I don't work at a wine bar and I don't have a one week old, but I do have a podcast and I know how much work that can be. So I can only imagine how busy you are on a day to day basis. Yeah, it's it can be overwhelming at times. And like I said, learning how to say no to certain things is hard because I do feel like that's such a huge part of minimalism is learning how to juggle and balance our schedules. But again, I I feel like I'm saying yes to the things that I love. And so it doesn't seem as much work at the time because I enjoy everything that I'm saying yes to. Well, your show is all about minimalism and motherhood. And I would love for you to tell us about how you found minimalism. So I would say that prior to becoming a minimalist, I was quite the opposite. And that was in my late teens, early 20s. So again, this is something I adapted in my adult, I've adapted and had throughout my entire adulthood, I guess. But I was a shopaholic. I was someone that needed a new outfit each time that I would go to church. I would at least need a new top to pair with my jeans. And I, I just hated wearing the same combination of clothing uh, more than once every couple of months. So I was remarkably different at that point in my life. But the moment that I kind of had that realization or aha moment, pain point, as some would like to say, is that my husband and I were in my parents' basement and we were looking for something. And my husband turned to me and said something along the lines of, look at all of these things that are now in boxes that were once your dad's hard-earned work hours, something along those lines. He said it much more profoundly than I just did. But it really, really wanted to make a shift of kind of how I was living. I felt like I was spending all this money on clothing and tangible materialistic items. And I thought about what that equaled in regards to what I was making at, at a job. And that was kind of just kind of how we started our marriage, that we wanted to focus and prioritize experiences over things. What was the first step you took down the path of minimalism? Yeah, so I'd say to begin with, I would just have to be really intentional about staying out of stores because I think that when you are constantly seeing things that you want that you don't have that can just make that little, like, what's the word I'm looking for? It just makes it it makes you want more. It, I always had the onesies, if you will. So it was being intentional about staying out of stores. And then it was just kind of having a conversation with my husband about wanting to prioritize experiences over things and just reminding ourselves of that whenever I guess we felt tempted. And I had to also remind myself that in regards to the consumerism, I guess, I had to remind myself that marketers want to appeal to that fear of missing out that we all have. And that's their job. And I had to see that trends come and go. And that by the time that I would make a decision, 
about clothing, the trend had passed. And so I just had to constantly be mindful of those things and what my purpose or I guess my intention was. You said that you were a shopaholic specifically around clothes, but I'm curious, what does your house look like these days as you consider yourself a minimalist? Is it the clean countertops, the the white walls, or is there a little personality spruced in there? So it's definitely not pristine. (laughs) I don't have completely cleared countertops, but I do keep it to the things that we use the most. So um, as of right now, my husband and I currently live in half of a duplex. So our space is 900 square feet and we've lived here for about eight years. And so with that 900 square feet, you have to be super intentional. I keep using that word, but you do have to be very intentional about what you have out and it would just seem so cluttered if we had out every appliance that we had on the counter. So the counters are sparse, but that said, the walls are also white in my home, but I think that it makes it a small space seem more light and airy, but we have children and we have three children now. And so there are toys that are in my living room and they cause clutter. There aren't a ton of toys at this point because we pare down every Christmas and birthday and we are very vocal about, I guess, what we want people bringing into our, like bringing into our homes or buying for our children. So I would say that you, you see this, I'd say on Instagram, you can kind of see sometimes people are, I'm I'm thinking of the minimalists in particular. I don't want to throw them under the bus, but I know that those guys, I think got rid of everything and started living out of a suitcase and they only had like one chair and one pillow. And I don't think that's realistic for a mom necessarily. It's not to say that you can't do things like that, but I think that for the majority of us, we are going to have more things in our home. It's just kind of curating that to serve a purpose and not have things that are superfluous or just unnecessary, I guess. Hmm. You really segued into what I would love to pick your brain about, which is how on earth it's possible to be a minimalist and run a minimalist household with children. Because I think back to, well, first when my first daughter was born, but now that she's five, the amount of things that they need, the list is very long. Mm -hmm. And not only that is now that she's in kindergarten, the list of sports teams and extracurriculars and birthday parties that she's invited to are really filling up our calendars. So for me, minimalism is about simplicity in terms of stuff and in terms of schedules. And I would love to know, like, what specific steps do you suggest for moms who want to abide by their minimalist principles but have children? Yeah. So I think that the thing with us, we did start this way. And I think that you can jump in with whatever age your children are, but it really does come down to simplicity and routines and structure with us. So I'd say in regards to meals, we, we really only do a handful of meals for breakfast and lunch dinner. It kind of looks different every night, but for breakfast each day, it's like, one of three things that my kids get every single day. Now you might talk to a nutritionist who wants me to venture outside of that realm, but as as of right now, they're getting nutritious breakfasts and they can pick what they want for the day. And it's things that we always typically have on hand. And so that makes it easy. And that helps with my routine, which I would say that 
each day of the week, we kind of have our, I wouldn't say that it's completely set in stone because I know on Tuesdays, for example, every Tuesday I have a play date with my cousin that is set in stone, that play date. But what we might do during that time is going to look different. So it kind of gives me some freedom within that routine and structure that I placed. And so I'd say for moms that are looking for a more minimalist approach, I think that planning ahead in regards to your schedule is huge. In regards to the tangible items, um, this is something I'm working on, especially now that we have three kids. I'm really trying to work on capsule wardrobes for my kids. I feel like people give you so many clothes, either hand-me-downs or they want to buy your babies new things or they buy your children various clothing pieces. And it's funny because I feel like each day I, I do a load of laundry like every other day and I feel like I'm pulling the same things out and they're wearing the same things. And I've seen that it's kind of pointless to have all of these clothes that they're, and they're only wearing like three to five things, but that's an exaggeration, maybe five to seven things. And they have like 12 to 15 shirts. And so I'd say that in regards to those uh, tangible clothing items, I would really work towards condensing it and doing capsule. I think it's very helpful for any kid of any age. And then I'd say in regards to toys and the lack thereof, we just spend lots of time outside. We spend lots of time at parks. We are really big, as I said, on experiences. And so we have family members that gift for birthdays, either zoo passes, or we have little museums here that we are members of. Um, we have the conservatory. So I think that when you are getting out, at least if you're a stay-at-home mom, um, I know this is not going to be the same necessarily for a full-time working mom, but if you have the opportunity to get out, it helps um, with that lack of toys, I guess. Mm. How do you nicely convey your minimalist principles to your friends and family who want to gift for your children? I would say this has been a tough area at the beginning, people just start to see the way that you're living differently. And so that's really helpful in itself, the example that you're setting and just the way that you're living differently. But this is an area of struggle for us because I know that there are people that are, if you know anything about like the love languages, the giving gifts is really big for a family member, one of my family members. And that is the way that she shows love through buying gifts. And even if I've had conversations with her, it still is something that I feel like she hasn't, um, I don't, I don't want to say acknowledged, but that she just keeps going against my wishes, I guess. So with that, I think that you humbly, humbly accept the gift, even if it's something that you know that you don't really necessarily need or want. And then <laughs> this is going to sound, I hope not to be a big jerk, but I'll either return things or I sell them <laughs> or I donate them or I gift them. And I think there are ways to do that where it's like they've given the gift. The sentimentality is within the gift that they've given to you. And after it's in my home, I feel like I'm free to do with what I want with the item. Does that make sense? It does. And I would totally agree with you because for this relative whose love language is gift giving, the joy that she received is in giving you the gift. So once it's given to you, it's yours. And she wouldn't want you to keep that gift around forever if it's just a burden and unnecessary. How do you do birthday parties? Um, that's another thing that I'm coming into um, a little bit of pushback with. So I've always said that 
I was going to only do birthday parties for the milestone birthdays. So one, five, 10 teenage years. And I, again, haven't been met with pushback from either older generation relatives or even my husband at this point can say that I can be a bit of like a Grinch or a Scrooge. So I think that you just do them minimally. This year, my daughter's turning five. So we're going to do a little bit bigger of a birthday party for her. But for my son, when he turns three, it's just like, hey, we're having cupcakes at the park. And it's not the goodie bags that people are taking away. It's not, it's just not this big, I guess, event. Because I think that really all people want from those types of events are to be together. And if you prioritize family over the items in those moments, I feel like I always have so much better of a time in that regard. And in regards to toys, I guess if you're questioning what are people bringing my child or what do I get my child for birthdays, usually for birthday, we might just do one to three medium-sized gifts. We aren't going overboard or just making it all about the presents for that day. We want to shower her with the love that we have for her. I have this story of my daughter feeling frustrated on my son's birthday and she felt like she wasn't loved on that day. And I told her, I'm like, we love you every day. And we love Martin just as much today. He just gets a few gifts today because we're making him feel extra special today. So I think that like, if you can show your kid love throughout the year and love every day, it's just like a little bit extra special of a day and extra special love, if that makes sense too. (laughs) It does. And I'm thinking back to my daughter's fifth birthday party, which was, gosh, now already six months ago. But the joy of the day for her wasn't in the presence that she received. We did like a family party, but she really didn't even want to open the gifts. Opening gifts is stress inducing, I think, for some children. And what she really wanted was to be the center of attention and to like have a special day. That was the joy of the day. It really wasn't in the gifts. And I'm really hoping, fingers crossed, that as she gets older, the joy of her birthday is in being surrounded by the people she loves and that love her instead of in the stuff. So that brings me to a very pressing question that I have always on my mind. And it is that we live in a culture that glorifies consumption and purchasing stuff and having the newest and having the flashiest. I'm wondering, how are you teaching your kids to live simply in a culture that's all about consumerism? So I think that you have to go back and just look at materialism and consumerism just as a whole and realize that it's insufficient. I think if you think of materialism as somewhat of a leaky faucet that will never be fixed, but you can choose to tune out, I think that you can see that there's always going to be this continual desire for more and for better. And a lot of this is somewhat faith-based for me. And I know that everyone shares my similar faith, but I do think that a lot of us are driven by like where our heart stands. And I think that this can be like a heart issue of where our hearts and minds are shaped by what we're doing and our reason for doing it. So in regards to how can we teach our children to live simply in this kind of culture, I would say that reminding our children of our family values and discussing regularly is huge. I know that even when Charlotte as I said, she'll be five. But even when she was three, we'd kind of talk about 
just at a very basic level, why we spend the money the way that we do, why we're not buying this toy at Target today, and why we're putting our money towards other things. But I think discussing this continually is so huge because it's it's going to keep it at the forefront of your mind. Like I said, when I shifted from being a shopaholic consumerist, um, which we're all consumerist, obviously, but I guess it's different levels. But I had to, as I said, do it very mindfully. And I had to be super thoughtful of what my intent was. Maybe when it comes to teaching our kids to be less concerned with stuff and more concerned with what matters in life, it's less about having a strategy in place or following these specific parenting rules. And maybe it's more about just leading by example. And, you know, our children are always watching us. They might not always listen to what we say, but they're always watching what we do, right? And so we don't have to be perfect as parents, but if we do want to instill these simpler values on them, maybe we just need to be repetitive with Mm -hmm. our daily habits. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. And I think that where I feel like I will struggle as the children get older is comparison with other families. And I think that that discomfort or the uncomfortability that comes with that to living counterculturally, like that's just something that I think if you're choosing to live this way, you're going to encounter. So again, I'm not really quite sure how to navigate it with maybe a 10 year old as I am a five year old, but I think that it really does come down to like being grateful for what you do have and putting an emphasis on gratitude. And again, that doesn't necessarily mean that those emotions of desiring those things are going to completely go away, but I think that it can put things into perspective a little bit better. So that's what I'm hoping, like you said, fingers crossed that we can kind of set this foundation now as we are about to encounter some more of these things. Mm. You mentioned earlier that minimalism is something that families in any stage jump into. And so what might that look like for parents who want to pare down their schedules, pare down their possessions, but have older kids? What might that even look like in in real life? Yeah, I know that Joshua Becker always says to start with your own items and paring down your own items, because it wouldn't be fair for you to say, okay, kids, we're going to pare down. Let's start with your room because wonder if someone did that to you, (laughs) how would you feel? Mm -hmm. So again, I think like leading by example is huge and then have your children kind of help with you after you've kind of maybe gone through your own things, have your children help you get rid of things in the kitchen and then in the garage and then slowly move into their rooms. But I think to say, we're going to start here and it's only with the kids things, or we're going to just go in and overhaul everything. I don't think that's fair. And I'm thinking of like a 13 year old that has, well, I don't know what the cool toy is for a 13 year old right now, but say they have tons of those in their room. I think maybe if we limit the amount, say you can keep these as long as they fit into this box. I think that that's a helpful way to help them kind of decide what's important, which one of those specific toys is important as long as they fit into a certain box or a certain shelf. I don't think it's impossible to start really at any age. And in regards to the schedule changing, 
I don't know. I guess being a parent, you're the one still in control as long as they're under your roof. I hate to go there, but I think just putting boundaries and limiting like either school activities or friend time versus family time. I think that you're the adult and you can put those new restrictions and boundaries in place. And I think that you should feel confident in doing so because again, a 13 year old is not a 25 year old. So something that might seem like earth shattering to them at that time, it will slowly fade. So, and I think that kids can adapt to anything. Mm. And that makes me think too, that they're kids. (laughs) They, They might not have the wisdom or the life experience to enact these changes on their own. And that's why they rely on us as their parents to do it for them, to put it bluntly or guide them towards it. And back to the schedule thing, if you're the one driving them around, heck yes, you do get to be the parent and and dictate the schedule. Mm -hmm. I read something at some point about when your children are little, you have the reins pulled really tightly. And then as your children get older, you slightly loosen those reins until they're able and capable to take control of their own lives and their own selves. And I don't know, I just really liked that because... Sometimes I think that as parents of little kids, like we feel as though we're being too intense or too strict with our kids, but it's like, this is the time now to really try and implement these things and these foundations, because if we completely let go at this point and try and grab those reins when they're 16, like that's just going to be a heck of a lot harder than doing it at like three or eight or 10. So I think you can grab hold of those the sooner the better, I guess, because once they turn 18 and our children are out in the world, it's just going to be a heck of a lot harder for that kind of like reality check for them. I know that's not exactly minimalist, but I just found that really interesting. No, I love that metaphor and I'm going to steal it and I will credit you whenever I use it, but I love it. I'm going to onto my reins nice and tight while my children are young. (laughs) Diane, where can my listeners find you and your podcast? So you can find the Minimalist Moms podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. And then I'm also on Instagram at Minimalist Moms. And I love Instagram as most of us do these days. Well, it was such a pleasure talking to you. And I absolutely love following you on Instagram. So I can't wait to see what you do next. Thanks for having me. I so hope you enjoyed that interview with Diane Bowden of the Minimalist Moms podcast. Now on to this week's eco-tip, which comes from listener Megan. Megan reminds us that it's totally possible to reuse cereal bags. Use those bags to hold your compost, but don't actually compost it, or to pick up your dog poo. The opportunities of reusing those cereal bags are endless, so go ahead and give that bag a second use before tossing it. Now, on next week's show, I am giving you strategies for fighting back against planned obsolescence. I will see you then. Have a great week. Take care.